Welcome to the Young Farmers Food Safety Focus Group Series. I'm Maggie Kaiser, the Produce Safety Training Coordinator for the National Young Farmers Coalition. Throughout the summer of 2020, I, along with Bree Sleiker, Billy Mitchell, and farmer facilitators from across the country, hosted a series of focus groups with farmers where we discussed the challenges and successes of implementing various on-farm produce safety practices. And we recorded them because we want these conversations to be a resource for you. In every session, we bring together farmers with similar experiences for a discussion about a specific farm food safety topic. We begin each one with a farmer presentation, followed by a roundtable discussion where farmers share problems and solutions with one another. We hope you enjoy them and find some practical information for your farm. All right, y'all, I think let's get started. So hi, everyone. Welcome to this focus group. Today we're talking about managing produce safety risks associated with rotating livestock through our produce fields and orchards. My name is Maggie Kaiser. I'm the Produce Safety Coordinator with the National Young Farmers Coalition, and I'm also a farmer in New Orleans. So we'll start with, we'll do some introductions, start with Billy and Bree, and then kick it to all of you farmers on this call. Um, so I will pass now to, will you introduce yourself first, Billy, and then pass it to Bree? Yes. Hey, y'all. My name is Billy Mitchell. I work for the National Farmers Union. <clears throat> I'm the Food Safety Modernization Act training coordinator, which means I just talk about food safety a lot. Uh, National Farmers Union is based out of D.C., but I live in Brunswick, Georgia, which is down on the coast. Bree, do you want to go next? And thing. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Bray, and I am interning this summer with the National Young Farmers Coalition with Maggie on the business services team. And currently I am finishing up a graduate program at NYU in food studies. Harrison, I'll pass it to you next and we'll kind of, we'll just go around um, for all the people that are on this call. So it'll be Harrison, Jen, Ben, and Carolyn. Have you all introduced yourselves? where you're coming from, um, meaning like physically, where are you farming? Um, and also why you, just a little bit about why you wanted to be on this call today. Uh, and then we'll have Harrison go a little bit more in depth about his operation. Hi everybody, it's me. It's, it's, it's your boy. Uh, I'm, I'm here because Billy asked me to be here. Cool, will you pass it to the next person to introduce themselves? Yeah. Jen, you're up. Yeah, I'm Jen. I am in Basalt, Colorado. I'm the Livestock Insight Lead for Rock Bottom Ranch. Um, and we are super diversified here. So I run cattle, sheep, um, chickens, and we used to do hogs, but we took a break on that. Um, and in the past, I've also managed um, a goat dairy in Pennsylvania for a few years, which is also just like rife with management on food safety um, for both like pathogens, bacteria accounts, um, like pharmaceutical residues and all kinds of things. Um, so I think I come with like a breadth of some stuff that I've dealt with in my years farming. But going forward, I'm also interested in learning about um, grazing and like orchard systems and silvopasture. Thanks everybody. So this is Ben and Carolyn and I farm in 
Northwest Laramie County or Northwest Fort Collins area. The name of the operation is Raisin Roots Farm, and we lease two different properties. We grow mostly diversified vegetables, and we raise pigs, chickens, and we're looking to add either sheep or cattle. And then we also rotate, we use the pigs as primary tillage on our poorest quality soil each season, and then uh, have figured out a rotation to follow them to optimize food safety with nothing being harvested that touches the soil directly until year three following the pigs. Um, so we're always trying to make sure we're being clean and safe on relatively small spaces. Um, so this is definitely of interest to us. Thanks everyone. And thanks for introducing yourselves, despite I think all of you already knowing each other. So um, I think we'll just jump right in and have Harrison start his presentation, so. Um, okay, so y'all mostly know me um, and, and I think you guys know quite a bit about my operation, but we raise fruit for a variety of, of markets, both commercial and direct to consumer markets. Um, we also raise uh, sheep, which is actually a separate business, and I guess I'll, I'll get into that, but uh, it's not always easy. Um, I would not always call it advisable, uh, but it is, it's, it is a pursuit that we are uh, we're working towards. So we have a, a harmonized gap audit every year. We're required to be uh, harmonized gap certified, which means that uh, we we adhere to the the harmonized gap standards that were created by USDA. We have a, a full food safety plan and keep records and uh, and have an annual audit. This is the language from our food safety plan as it pertains to raw manure and and animals. So the the important part of anything in the in the food safety plan, whether we're talking about harmonized gap or whether we're talking about a gap program at all or FISMA or whatever is that you have some scientific basis behind what you're doing so we re, we cite the national organic standard program as as the standard that we believe has the scientific basis to uh to justify the the practices that we that we use so uh so the national organic standards program lines out that um for crops that don't touch the ground you have a, a 90 day buffer between the applications of raw manure and, and harvest and for crops that do touch the ground they say 120 day buffer so you can see you know we basically cite it for animal control and then with application of raw manure you know almost just uh, restate that and then our record keeping is pretty simple you know we just write the last date that an animal was in a uh, was in one of the the blocks that's going to have a harvestable crop so you know really really pretty simple not not super intensive we're in a little bit of a of a transition well not transition but you know we we have sort of a nice situation right now and this is sort of part of the interesting thing about the the livestock so um so this is a map of our of one of our farms we we operate two farms uh, that are two towns apart uh, this farm is about 25 acres is where the animals are housed it's where the livestock is housed uh, we don't really drive livestock back and forth yet we may have to someday to to have adequate pasture um you can see these two big blocks this is an outdated map i wish we had access to to the government satellites but uh the crest haven block that you can see here and the suncrest block that you can see here uh as our our new 
planting. So again, this isn't current at all, but the Crest Haven and the Suncrester, you know, that's a really nice, that's probably a four acre block right there. And it's, um, and it's right now, everything in there is not productive. So we really don't have any requirements for when we can have uh, animals in there. We also, uh, over here in the, in the wine sap, uh, HC Fuji H apples over here that we, we take, took out about an acre and a half that we're grafting. So again, we have another area that animals can move, but essentially, you know, a well constructed orchard starts harvesting cherries at the end of June, early July, and you'll have something pretty consistently coming off the trees until, uh, until about mid October. So the theory is that we can heart, we can really graze up until about May um, in most things, except for cherries. And then we have a 90 day window that'll get us until, um, that'll, that'll take us up to that, uh, that harvest date. So we have to get almost all the animals out of production areas by May. So right now they're in early, they're in the early peach areas or they're in the non-productive peach areas. But when those are productive, we're gonna have a real pickle. And the theory is that if we can maintain about an acre to an acre and a half of good pasture, that should cover us for about the month or so that we need to um, then be able to get back into the cherries after cherry harvest this is done about mid-July. It's a real Rube Goldberg kind of calendar of events that we have to that we have to meet in order to keep these things on grass, which is one of the biggest challenges, honestly. Anyways, we've got all these different blocks. You know, each one has a different uh, has a different marker for the last day that the animal can be in there. So, you know, for the peach one H, it's really the end of May. For uh, Suncrest and Crest Haven, you could probably go till mid May to graze them in there. For Gala, you could go back to the begin first day of June. Uh, for the wine sap honey crisp Fuji block, you could get a little bit later than that. Not much later than that. Um, the John Golds, you could get a little later than that too. So you could get up into sort of uh, mid to late June so you know you can see I just put this in here so you can see sort of what that rotation might look like we use almost exclusively this uh, this woven netting uh, we have found that sheep it's really hard to keep sheep in with anything but that we've, we've actually started having a little bit more luck with the um, with a three strand system I still don't personally trust it uh, the sheep cause a lot of damage if they get into the trees so you know, to me, the best barrier is a real barrier. So, I, so I, I'm most comfortable with these uh, with this woven netting. Um, the the three strand again has has been working recently. Um, we got into sheep because we we were we inherited some um, some bums from a, a, a nearby commercial operation, and they were big and kind of ornery. We now have a breed called baby dolls, um, Southtown baby dolls. They're real small stature. They're real thick. They, they cut out really well, so they've got a really good hang weight. And they don't seem to push the fence quite as much, but they're still, they're really aggressive with the trees. Um, so we use this wire mesh. We, we have about 30 sheep uh, that we run. Um, I don't, I, I honestly think that at the acreage we have, with the way that we graze, our, I think our capacity would, would probably max out at about 50 you're really limited in your ability to, to grow the flock and it's constantly that, that balance. But I'll talk about that a little bit more. You know, the, the reason we do it is in theory for, for soil health. Um, you know, th this is the most recent soil health test that we took. We've had uh, sheep grazing in the orchard now for uh, approximately three years. You know, you can see 
we've got a, a better exchange capacity in Hotchkiss or higher exchange capacity in Hotchkiss. You know, our organic matter is like a little bit higher in Hotchkiss. Um, you know, otherwise there's a lot of, you know, there, everything, things are pretty similar. You know, I think that's one of the challenges is that we all go to these soil health conferences and we hear about how important animals are for a healthy system. And, and, and I'm certainly not one to contest that. And, and we may find that over, uh, over a long period of time that we begin to see benefits that we're not, that you can't see after three years. But, you know, when you're talking about commercial crops, it's, it's really the quality of a piece of fruit that you need from, um, that you need for, for sale at grocery stores and, um, you know, and, and to the expectations of consumers, you know, it's really hard to translate the same science that's really being pumped into how to make good pasture into making good commercial specialty crops. Um, that's a, that's a, those, those are two sort of divergent areas in my experience. Um, you know, I also think that one of the challenges is, is having the numbers that really make an impact. I think even at 50 sheep, you know, we're still a far cry short of, of really making the, the animal impact that we would need to start seeing some of the real, some of the significant benefits. So here's the rest, you know, you can see, you know, things are really pretty similar uh, between the two farms. The soil types are, are relatively similar. You can see a little bit higher ammonia and, and nitrate down at the bottom that may have something to do with the sheep. Certainly in, a, in the soil test, I can't see anything right now that, that seems to be indicating that we're making a big difference. So pros that kind of help manage the understory, especially in the young trees. I mean, the reality is a, a mower uh, manages the understory really well and very efficiently and, and sheep do it much less efficiently, but you know, we are getting a little bit of that double, uh, double functionality by using the sheep, especially in the young trees it really encourages you to keep a mode really close, which is really good for growth in young trees. Um, the older trees, it's a little bit, it's, it's nice to be able to go in and just mow when you need to mow rather than have to wait for the sheep to get there in the rotation. We may see that there's, a long, uh, there's benefits to our long-term nutrition program. I don't, I, we're, again, I don't think we're seeing those yet, but we may see those down the road. You know, there is a, <coughs> a little bit of a risk mitigation piece to it. You know, we see a little bit of revenue. It's not at this point in time uh, cash positive business for us, but um, but in a year like this, when things are tough, it's nice to you know we'll take we'll take what we can get. And as always, it's really great to have meat around. The cons, you know, time versus revenue. You know, it's it takes quite a bit of time for us, especially you know when you have to start splitting flocks up and you have your your rams or you have uh, you have lambs. You, you're trying to you know breed differently. You know, you've got You've got quite a bit of work just setting up fence for us, uh, so that's that's it's really hard. Even when we make money, it's really hard to justify it sometimes. Herd size and demands versus the available resources throughout the year, and and that's just really about you know not all of our blocks are the exact same size, not all of our for you know forage isn't always ready when it needs to be ready. You know, unlike in a pasture system, like in a pure pasture system, the herd will have uh, you know the herd forage needs will go up and down. Also, like you're lambing, you're shearing, you know, sometimes there's, you're, you're vaccinating, sometimes there's things that you have to do with the sheep, and it's just really inopportune. It's a really inopportune time to do it. And I, I just need to note that I, I'm the farmer, Station mostly does the, I'm, I also run our food safety program, Station mostly does the sheep. She would probably maybe be telling a little bit of a different story, so you're kind of hearing it from the disgruntled farmer's point of view, so I apologize. 
This idea of conflict between flock and farm, again, a lot of people see our, um, our orchard alleyways and they think, look at all that grass, look at all that pasture. I've had people come and ask me if I bale it, you know, <coughs> if they can graze their cattle in it. You know, people always want to know what we do with all the grass. The reality is it's a road, it's not a pasture. Uh, having fence in the way, having waters in the way, having all sorts of stuff is, um, can, be, can be pretty challenging. So that's probably the conflict that I run up against the most, that and the time issue. Also, the, this idea of dual specialization, and I don't know if anybody else on the call has, has sort of run up against this, but we grow trees commercially. It's really what we do. We have a lot of investment in the equipment that we need to do it and the skills that we've, that we've developed in order to raise trees. And it's sometimes just hard to, you know, when you start branching into these things, uh, you know, build, building up the equipment and the uh, and the skill set that it takes to to manage them well and do it properly, um, and that's and that's and that's there's a real cost associated with that. That's those are, are kind of the pros and cons. Um, our soil soil analysis, our means of, of fencing, our pretty pictures, our maps, our food safety plans, and that is my presentation. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Harrison. Now. I think if we should just open it up for questions. So Jen, Ben, Carolyn, do any of you have any questions for Harrison? I guess too, Harrison, if you have any questions for the farmers participants. My question is oftentimes about this nutrient management piece. You know, those are the claims of why you want some sort of integrated livestock. You know, and I have I have some friends that do chicken rotations and they just swear by it, but they're smaller scale, they're highly diversified chicken, you know, they're diversified veggie farmers and they do these real high density chicken moves and they really swear by it. Um, I think the other big thing about chickens is that you're adding feed to the situation. We don't add feed, you know, we're just eating grass and recycling it through these animals. So I guess that's one of the questions that I have is like, do people see real nutrient benefits? Because to, to me, I don't, I don't see it and I don't see how it's necessarily, unless we're talking about microbial communities, which may well be making a big impact. If that premise of integrating animals is that, you know, it's, I, I'm challenged to figure out whether or not it's worth it. Hey, this has been, I've got um, two questions. Harrison, you touched on one of them um, with the microbial communities. Have you taken any PLFA tests to go along with your nutrient testing? And then um, the second question is why sheep? We have done the Ward lab test the past couple of years. Um, the, the, is that so the Haney or the PLFA? They did both. The Haney. That one's non-microbial. No, the Haney is the one that has the, um, that's the microbial one. Okay, the PLFA in our, in our experience is that one that shows your fungal environment, your uh, bacterial environment, and, the, and um, the Haney would be the one with all the extracts mimicking root exudate enzymes. So we looked at, we did the one that was, at, that was advertised as the soil health, um, the, the, the living soils test, where they, where they like dry it down and weigh the amount of bacteria and stuff in there. And it's probably my fault. I just look at the, I look at the tests you know, with slack jaw, it's, it's really hard for me to, without, um, without help, it's really hard for me to interpret what exactly the tests are saying. And I guess the, maybe the other problem too, is that as a young idealist, I've thrown, you know, all the snake oil I can at this, at this, at these trees. And so, you know, we've, we've done lots of inoculants, we've grazed animals, we've um, done, 
uh, compost sprays and stuff like that. So it's hard. I'm not, I, you know, that's part of the problem of just throwing everything at a situation is you really then when you actually do try to get analytical about it, it's hard to tell what worked and what didn't work. And sheep is, because uh, they're short, um, there's actually somewhat of like a global tradition of, of sheep in, in uh, horticulture and viticulture situations. You know, they're not as much of browsers as goats. Uh, a lot of people say, well, why don't you get goats? And, and goats are really heavy duty browsers, generally speaking. Cows are too big, just straight up. Pigs would maybe be interesting, but it's, I don't think Stacia or I have a real interest in, in doing pigs. And then poultry, uh, honest to goodness, I think poultry would be the best thing to do it with. But again, you'd run into that situation of, you know, we need to get through the rows regularly with tractors. And so if you've got chicken coops in the middle of the, um, in the middle of the rows at an opportune moments, which you, you always will. I mean, it doesn't matter how well you plan, the animals are going to be in the way. You know, I think that would be the one, the, the real backbreaker of the, of the poultry. But I think ultimately the poultry would make, poultry might have the best impact. But that's why we chose sheep is sort of the tradition of sheep and orchards and then the, the physiology of the sheep work well for the system for the most part. Yeah, Harrison, I guess on like the soil health front, um, at Rock Bottom Ranch, we started last year beginning to do um, soil health studies across our property and we've like set up um, control exclusions in a lot of our pastures as well and it's going to be like a three to five year study kind of seeing if we see actually like quantifiable differences that we're looking for um, that said from our even just our baseline um, results definitely like our most intensively managed areas with animals were the ones that returned with like the healthiest soil profiles highest um, organic matter and all that, um, kind of what you'd expect. I think when it comes to like what different animals you use, I think also like the niche of like how the animal is interacting with what you have there and then like what your goal is. Like I think chickens do like lay down a really, really, um, I think like fast turning over manure, um, like more than sheep and goats would. Um, but I think if you're like grazing to manage grass, like chickens denude a lot and they kind of destroy a lot of what's there and they can actually lead to like more wheat problems versus sheep are going to get like kind of the cleaner graze and um, kind of like support like a better biodiverse more biodiverse and like healthier um, kind of array of like pasture grasses and forbs and legumes there uh, and then in New York where I used to also um, do multi-species systems both at um Glenwood and Stone Barns, we saw that um, the areas that they had run chickens through most commonly on both of those farms were starting to get like a really strong invasion of like certain nightshade species and things like that. So I think it's also like this balance, like at a certain point, um, it's like it throws the whatever that nutrient pro I don't know if it was like phosphorus or sulfur or what from the chicken manure um, actually kind of like threw it to like a less desirable area. And because of that, the people in management there like kind of wanted to scale back on chickens or like move it to a totally different area. Um, sure. So I think it's hard. I think it's just like so nuanced and like depends on really what you're managing for. Um, it would really. Then, yeah, I think the mob grazing too, like doing it like really tight and kind of getting like as even of a graze and as like heavy of a manure load and then moving it on. But um, yeah, I think that's kind of how you see your fastest results. 
Yeah. I mean, we're real nitrogen hogs. Trees, you know, we, we need, we use a lot of nitrogen. So that's why I think I'm inclined to think that the, the poultry might have a better, I mean, and you see it, you see it when the grass regrows, when you do a great, good rotation, the grass and the alfalfa that grows back is beautiful. But the reality is you don't see the same, um, at least in short term observations, you don't see the same benefits with the trees. They just have different relationships with the nutrients and with the soil than the fast, quicker growing grasses and alfalfa do. Yeah, for sure. That's really interesting to think about too. It's like, yeah, that tree component of it, because that obviously isn't something that like I've managed for. Yeah. But yeah, maybe we be- would be better with chickens. And like I said, in, in 15 years, we might really swear by this stuff, but in, in th- a three-year window, it's a much different story. I've got a question following up on um, what Jen mentioned of the uh, the mob grazing effects. What, what's your density of animal to square footage? Are you giving them access to all of the alleyways at once? Are they pretty spread out or are they pretty concentrated together? We mostly push them down the alleyways one alley at a time. And got, you know, Ben, I have to guess that we're putting in uh, that we have at any given time about 20 to 30 sheep per maybe like an eighth of an acre. You know, it's, they're relatively small pastures that we move them through. You know, probably maybe sometimes if we're, if we have an opportunity or we know that we, you know, we really don't have time and can't afford to move them a lot in the next week. We'll try to find them a bigger pasture of like a quarter acre. I'd say it's anywhere between 20 and 35 sheep per, you know, eight to a quarter of an acre, depending. And that, and that those moves are done anywhere from, from every other day to once a week, if we can find a little larger area. Got it. So that's pretty dense. And then my follow-up question is, um, how do you weight um, the decision-making process about when to rotate? Are you, what weight are you giving your needs for being out of the area for your 90 to 120 day harvest versus how much weight are you giving based on the um, observant cues of how short is the grass? Uh, are we overgrazing? Are we, have we undergrazed? Uh, what's, our, what's our next rotation gonna look like? You know, regardless of the tree health, how do you weight that move, that move time? That's a really tough question. Um, I mean, essentially, the the food safety piece of it, the ninety days, is uh, is non negotiable. Um, you know, we need to do that for our for compliance with our program. So so that is so you know, I'll tell Stacia date. You know, I'll say, all right, you got to be out of the peaches by end of May, and so she knows no matter how the rotation's going, they need to move on. Um, they need to be moved on by the by the first of May in, in that peach block. I'm sure, I think Jen and Carolyn and Ben, you all know, but, you know, if you ever, if you're ever sitting down to write a food safety plan, you know, I'll sit down with you and, and, and go through line by line for, for a little while just to get you started, you know, or anyone else with the Colorado Food Safety Collaborative, we're, we're all here to help get that thing going. With that, I just want to say thank you all for spending an hour with us today. It was really nice to hear from all of you. So, um, yeah, I'm really grateful for your participation. And that's that. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to our Produce Safety Focus Group series. For visuals from the presentations, 
More information on this series and other produce safety resources, visit youngfarmers.org slash focus groups. This podcast was edited by Hannah Beal and recorded in partnership with the National Farmers Union Foundation over the summer of 2020 as part of our FSOP produce safety programming.